You're listening to NapperBroadcasting.com. Thank you for tuning in to The Kelly Fuller Show. It's Quincy Jones today. We've got some actual interview audio from him talking about the stories behind the music. Lots of great Quincy Jones music for you and other artists as well with Quincy Jones. But before we get started with the music, I want to talk about local music because you know how important that is to me and to many of you listening And Shelby Lanterman is here with me today. Hello, Shelby. Hi, Kelly. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Shelby is a local musician who, um, not too long ago, spent some time in Nashville. Yes. Right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So I went to Nashville last fall and uh, was a part of the Dark Horse Institute program where I basically spent four months learning how to be a music producer. So I got to spend a lot of time in the studio over there and got to record some of my own stuff, got to record a couple of local bands in Nashville, and it was awesome. Oh, that's so great. Mm-hmm. Well, I followed you on Facebook, and it looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> it I was. lived vicariously through you. <laughs> but now Shelby's back in town, and she's taking those skills that she learned in Nashville and she's doing a really amazing show or showcase, I should say. So tell us all about that, Shelby. So basically, I'm putting on a songwriter series at City Winery, um, the old opera house. Uh, basically, the idea is to kind of promote and showcase uh, local Napa talent. You know, um, I've heard a lot of my friends, a lot of people tell me, you know, there's not really much of a music scene in Napa. And I tell them, there is. You just have to look for it. You know, right. there's a lot of musicians here, a lot of a songwriters, lot of a lot of really good mm-hmm. songwriters. So um, April 1st, this Wednesday at 8 o'clock is the first one. Um, it's going to feature uh, Kristen Van Dyke, Sarah Roddenberg, and Amber Snyder. Great. And I'll be hosting it. All four of us are bottle rock artists all four of us are from napa we've all done porch fest we're all very local and um and uh unintentionally it's an all-lady lineup (laughs) i like that yeah (laughs) and then um april 15th uh is the second show uh caitlin cara from oakland todd morgan from sacramento and alec lee uh from napa will be on that one and may 6th uh will be uh journey and jade roar yeah, and Zach Fenny and Allison Rowan. And um, so stay tuned. You can go to my website, uh, shelbylantrymusic.com, to stay up with it, or the City Winery website. And um, yeah, that's looking great. forward to it. Shelby, I'm so glad you're doing this. Thank you so much for coming back home to <laughs> keep keep our local music going here. And yeah. I'm really looking forward. Um, do you know the ticket prices at this point? Are they varied? or $10. Oh, and psh, please buy your tickets in advance, please. Right. <laughs> that really helps, I can tell you. <laughs> Someone who's done a few shows. Shelby, thank you so much for being thank here you. today. Oh, I've had so much fun. And keep us up, <laughs> up with what you're doing, okay? Do. All right, thanks. <laughs> okay, so what I have for you today, Quincy Jones. Now, I do have... Quincy himself telling some stories behind the songs, and you can get these snippets of conversations on Spotify. It's the Stories Behind the Music by Q Quest Records. It does not have the music, it just has the snippets of the interview, but I've actually compiled the music today, so you'll hear him talk about a particular artist or song, and then you'll get to hear that song following that brief conversation. But if you want to look up the conversation, it's on Spotify. Well, I thought a great way to kick it off is with one of my favorites, Watermelon Man. 5409, take one. Thank you. 
how about Sanford and Son? How did that come about? How did you end up doing the TV thing for that? Bud Yarkin came to my house, and I've met Bud before. And he says, I'd like you, because see, ironically, when my son was born in London, when I was doing the music for Italian job, uh, since 1968, Quincy III uh, was, was born in London. And I had to stay over. And I had gone to, to Robert Stigwood's company, talked to Belle Virtue, because there was a big hit over there called To Death Do Us Part. It was a movie in the West End, a TV show and everything else. It was about the Cockneys and the West Indian ladies, you know, on the boot, a lot of racism was in it, you know. And that became, uh, they told me, Beryl Virtue said, you don't know anything about TV. And she was right, because I didn't produce TV until I did Duke in 1971, of producing, you know. And so Norman came in a year later, and he got it, and he turned it into All in the Family. And now uh, that's where Steptoe and Son was the beginning of Sanford and Son. And so when Bud came and asked me to do the thing, I said, what, what is it? He said, it's Red Fox. I said, no, no way, you can't put Red Fox on Nation TV. No way, man. I worked with him at Apollo for years. <laughs> he can't go on Nationwide TV. Because he was rough boy in person, you know. And sure enough, he cleaned his act up, and he was just one of the number one shows, you know. So I wrote that theme in about a half hour, hour, you know. Uh, just fell out, you know. We recorded in 20 minutes, you know. We had four guys. And he said, you got to go see this pilot. I said, not if it's Red Fox, man. I do that in my sleep. And so we had an Earl Bostic kind of a feel to it, you know, from his, both of our days, you know. And uh, Ernie Watts played the, the Selma octave divider, which is a saxophone player that adds another octave to your sound, you know. Do, 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 and that give it an octave on that. And a very small group, and we recorded very quick, you know. Thank you. 
I can't believe he did that in 20 minutes. I love that song. Have you ever heard the full version of it before? It just, he really breaks it down. <laughs> it's awesome. All right, so we have a couple more songs here um, that I actually had not realized were Quincy Jones. Um, I've got the uh, song Sister from Miss Seeley's Blues. That was, uh, or Miss Seeley's Blues and also known as Sister from the Color Purple. And James Ingram with 100 Ways. Today, find one hundred ways. 
lover in her memory If you need her so much more Why don't you say Maybe she has it in her mind That she's just wasting her time Ask her to stay Sassy next. Yeah, absolutely. That was my baby. Yeah, Sassy was uh, she was just as sweet as she could be. She'd help me move in the house. I'd be moving the house, whatever. When she adopted her first daughter, Paris, you know, we used to hang out in Europe and record. You know, we did the first record on Misty, in uh, in Paris. Uh, Earl Garner gave me a lead sheet that Johnny Burke had just written the lyrics to it. She did the first record on Misty. Uh, she was a piece of work. Absolute piece of work. She was like one of the dudes, you know. She knew how to hang, you know, and that all the big band singers knew how to deal with other, other musicians, you know. And uh, we just had so many enlightening experiences together, man. I don't know, eight or ten albums together, you know, like like Dinah. And uh, that was her last record, too, Back on the Block, you know. She did September. She went straight to the hospital from there. 
and she'd be in my heart for. And, and you know what's weird? We went to the Gershwin Awards last week, and it reminded me. I went, we went one night to pick, to receive her Gershwin, Aaron George Gershwin Award from UCLA, uh, and her mother, and Paris. We all had these sickle watches she gave us, you know, as presents, and. Was standing in the courtyard there, and the alarm used to go off the mind of the house all the time. It was like she was giving me an email, a call, you know. And we were standing there afterwards, and all of our our, our uh, alarms went off exactly the same time. This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. On the, the same watch we had on, and they all went off exactly the same time. So that that that's a connection. That's all I'm trying to say. It's a very spiritual, very spiritual connection, you know. love that story about that spiritual connection that uh, Quincy was talking about with the the watches that she gave them all going off at the same time. Another one of my personal favorites, I think a lot of people's personal favorites, uh, Quincy Jones, is Watermelon Man.
What is the story of Fly Me to the Moon? Okay, 1958, I'm working in France as a musical director for Eddie Barclay's record company, Barclay Records, which is the boss record company in France at the time, 1957. And I'm also studying with Nadia Boulanger, which is heaven for me. Everything you would ever want, you know, I could write for strings, because in, in, in the States they wouldn't let me write for strings, for horns, but they wouldn't let me write for strings in the States. Anyway, I asked Nicole when she called me, I said, can I write for strings? She said, you can have all you want in every session. So I, I had a house band of 1955 people. I come to the office, thank you. Come to the office one day at New Year, Barclay Rex, they said, uh, Grace Kelly's office called and said, Mr. K Mr. Sinatra requested that Quincy bring his entire house band down, which was 55 musicians and a double six, you know. They would uh, bring them all down on train to play with him at the smoking, uh, at, the, at the Monte Carlo, you know, for a benefit for Grace Kelly. Frank was red hot, man. And uh, I'd never seen him before in person, you know. And boy, I was so excited, I can't tell you. We were on the train, nervous, and everything else. We rehearsed with him, no problem. And uh, I was expecting him to come on. We playing blah, 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 people, and I'm waiting for Clank to come out on one side of the stage. I look up at this oblong shaped hall. Way in the back is Frank, you know, with his frayed uh, uh, velvet shoes on with the fox on it, you know. Fox's, Fox's, uh, what do they call it? Fox's Sugar. That's FS, you know, that's the plane with all that stuff. So he goes back there, and there's Noel Coward, there's Cary Grant, and there's everybody you can imagine, you know. And he's kissing and high-fiving and, and hanging with his partners back there, you know. And I never knew this guy, and I didn't know what to expect. And so I'm, I'm like an idiot worried that, that the applause will run out before he gets to stage. Man, <laughs> that's stupid. And he's taking his time, man, and waving to the people and kissing and all that stuff. And he gets halfway up and he stops in the middle of something. I said, oh my God, da -da 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 -da. we're still playing that theme. He said, he's stopping now, we're the applause is going to end. And he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a cigarette holder, taps a cigarette on the case and everything, lights it, puts it back in, and walks the thing, takes his time. Applause never eased up one minute, you know. And gets to the stage and we go, don't come fly with me. And in the middle, party says, fly with me. He takes a puff on his cigarette. And he says, it goes down to a pin spotlight. You know, he says, when I get you up there, not a drop of smoke comes out of him. Where the air is rare. He said, rare. And that smoke just seemed like he pulled it out of his body, you know. And I, it was like magic. I couldn't believe it, man. You know, I've never seen anybody do this kind of stuff. Because the way he was with lyrics was like an actor, you know. It was so dramatic. And I was just sitting there like, go, 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 da, da, da. Just couldn't believe it, you know. Anyway, uh, then you wanted at the end what he thought, how we performed, and what he thought about it. He said, cuckoo, kid, good job. That was it. <laughs> Didn't hear a word, man, for four years. <laughs> and the fourth year, I get a call. AQ. Nobody ever called me that before. This is Francis. I'm over here directing a film called Number to Brave, you know, army film. And he said, I'd heard the version of, of uh, I did an album with Basie, and we did, he said, I heard you, uh, uh, the, the Bart Howard song, that's the name of the song then. In other words, and I liked it the way you did it, because it's in free for You wrote it like that. And we did it, bim, bim, boom, 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 bo
And basically, you know, we're going to make it swing. And he said, that's the way I want to do it. Would you consider doing a record with me? And basically, I said, man, are you kidding? <laughs> Pope or Catholic, are you kidding? Anything with you and basically, man. And so I was in, in Kauai, Hawaii, uh, two days later. And I, he took me to another planet, man. He really did, because we'd sit in his office, I think, going to talk about music and stuff. And he said, excuse me a minute, excuse me. And he calls the Pentagon. He said, Jim, Abe, or whatever his name was, he said, you think he, he got cats could, could, could uh, get the tw ninth fleet to roll by here tomorrow morning? I've got a scene. I need the Navy from behind him. I, I thought he was talking about an enemy or something, you know? <laughs> he said, <laughs> and so the next morning, man, here comes an aircraft carrying battleships and destroyers and PT boats, all that from Honolulu, you know? That's what, that's, the ninth fleet was the biggest naval thing, division we've got, you know? Unbelievable. I mean, that's who he was, you know. And we we went, finished the picture, and went up to Honolulu to celebrate. And man, did we celebrate! He got on the phone with Barbara Luna, half hour man with thirty four ladies there, <laughs> and it was just another planet, you know. And the third day, we woke up after all night party. He was a pile on top of me, <laughs> and I said, "How did we get in here?" <laughs> and then we went home the next day on a commercial plane. And while we were going home, Frank's taking pictures and everything. He said, let's call the kids, you know, because Barbara had just met, met, married Tommy, uh, Tommy Sands, and uh, we talked to him and congratulated him, sent him our love and everything. And two or three years later, well, they separated, you know. <laughs> it's the wrong time and the wrong place. Though your face is charming, it's the wrong face It's not her face, but such a charming face That it's all right with me It's the wrong song in the wrong style Though your smile is lovely, it's the wrong smile It's not her smile, but such a lovely smile That it's all right with me you can't know how happy I am that we met I'm strangely attracted to you There's someone I'm trying so hard to forget Don't you want to forget someone too? It's the wrong game with the wrong chips Though your lips are tempting, they're the wrong lips They're not her lips, but they're such tempting lips That if some night you are free hey, It's all right It's all right It's all right with me I'm strangely attracted to you There's someone I'm trying so hard to forget Don't you want to forget someone too? Wrong game with the wrong chips Though your lips are tempting, they're the wrong lips They're not her chops, 
But they're such tempting chops That if some night you might be free Hey, it's all right It's all right It's all right With me All right, a little Frank Sinatra with Quincy Jones. I love that uh, he called him Q. Hey, Q, he can call me K anytime. All right, here's another great Quincy Jones tune. This is a collaboration with um, Nicholas Ashford, Valerie Simpson, and Shaka Khan. Stuff like that, nice and funky, the way I like it.
obviously on on films as well was Michael Jackson. Oh, absolutely. Um, I met him, I met him first met him. He was had just done the Ed Sullivan show at Sammy Davis's house. He was twelve years old, and uh, Sammy played the tape of that uh, the Jackson Five on the, on on the Ed Sullivan. And I used to spend a lot of time around Ed. He was at the Regency Hotel in New York, partying, you know, <laughs> drinking wine, and. Uh, but you guys first worked together on The Wiz, right? Yeah. Uh, That's when we first started The Wiz, and he was must have been about 19 or 20. And when he came to my house the first time, he said, I'm going to be doing my own album on Epic Records. You think you could help me find a producer? I said, Michael, I don't even want to talk about that. You don't even have a song in the picture, man, outside of on Down the Road with Diana. Let's think about the, the pre-record, because the pre-record in the musical is very, very heavy, and it's very... You have to really be careful because everything you sonically record, that's what they have to shoot the film to, you know. So you got to really focus, you know. And so we did, and I finally got the thing called "You Can't Win with the Crows," you know, in that they Charlie Smalls wrote for him, and uh, that satisfied that. And then I was watching Michael rehearse up in Brooklyn one day uh, with uh, Sidney Lumet, who had the four principles, you know, the. Uh, Tin Man and all that stuff. And he was blocking out a scene for them and Diana. And Michael was pulling these slogans out of his, sayings out of his chest, you know, chest full of straw. And saying, da 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 da, Confucius, da 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 da, so and so, Kierkegaard, da 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 da, Socrates. I said, who the hell is that? Who's Socrates? And he kept saying it, and Sidney didn't correct him, and Diana didn't. So I knew I had to get him there to tell him something because he'd get in the habit of saying the wrong word. And he said, Michael, it's Socrates. And he looked at me, man, like a deer in the headlights. He said, really? I said, really? It's Socrates. <laughs> and that's when I, I saw those eyes and that innocence in those eyes. And that's when I realized he, the only love song he'd ever sang was about Ben, to, was to a rat. You know, and I saw him at the, at the Academy Awards singing that, that rap song. And then, so I, at that time I said to him, I said, I'd like to take a shot at doing a re record with you. He said, really? <laughs> I said, really? And we did. We oh, took so a shot at it. Sure, and, you sure did. And uh, the, he went back and told the record company, said, no way with Quincy Jones, he's too jazzy. And Michael and Freddie DeMann and, and those guys, they all said, his managers went and said, oh, he's Quincy's doing it. And uh, he called me, he was crying when he came back to me, he said, they don't want, they don't want to, so don't worry, man, don't worry about a thing, we'll be fine. And we were. He's on, down the road. <laughs> He's on down. He's on, down the road. <laughs>
You just mentioned that you're still friends with Astrid Gilberto and that she lives in uh, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Uh, you guys worked together on uh, a song from The Deadly Affair called Who Needs Forever. Absolutely. Is there a story behind that? Absolutely. Well, it just, it was, uh, it was a drama, and I was always trying to take chances in movies because I'd wanted to do movies since I was 15 in Seattle, but, uh, you know, they didn't use Brothers uh, for single screen credit. Forget that. You know, Benny Carter would do a song in Snows of Kilimanjaro or Calvin Jackson, you know, but as a whole score, you never, you never got a shot, you know. Duke did a couple before that and uh, with Otto with, uh, Preminger and there we go he, he just took it uh, uh, Astrid uh, uh, the Brazilian thing fit the drama of Deadly Affairs so perfectly you know it really did not so we made that song and that melody which is all really a do de do 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 de do de 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 you know it had a kind of a 12 tone feel to it but it fit Bossa Nova perfectly because Jobim writes so much and with the modulations in the songs like, like the 12 tones, you know. And I don't know, one thing leads to another and you just go with your, with your blink, you know.
you start by telling us the story of Soul Bossa Nova? Soul Bossa Nova was originally written for one of the albums I did called Big Band Bossa Nova. We just come back from Dizzy for the, or the Goodwill Tour, State Department Goodwill Tour. I was the musical director of the band and playing trumpet with them. And we came back from Brazil, after, went to Brazil after we went to Argentina. And we played with uh, all of these great musicians and Lalo Schiffen we met down there. And he said, wait till you get to Brazil, man. He said, the new wave, because Bossa Nova means new wave, you know. Wait till you see Brazil. And sure enough, we did Dizzy took me to uh, uh, Copacabana Beach one day, the Gloria Hotel, or Ipanema Beach, I don't remember which. And he played with, uh, it was around 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He played with the Samba house band then. And so he was playing Bossa Nova background and Dizzy was putting, that's why in the beginning they call it Jazz and Samba. And one tune, has a sig- trade- trademark signature from Dizzy. That's his trademark, the Platted Fifth, you know. That was the bebop, the bebop trademark, you know. And in the front row, when he was playing, he had on his shorts and flip-flops on. In the front row was Antonio Carlos Jobim and Astrid and Joao Gilberto. Just very young, you know. And that's when they got getting their inspiration and everything. And we were friends up to this day, you know. Gilberto, I mean, Jobim is gone, and uh, Astrid's in Philadelphia, but uh, recorded with her. And uh, so we went back to New York. I know this is a long route to the, your question. Uh, they came up to New York about two, three years later, played midnight concert at Carnegie Hall. And I got real, real turned on them because I could tell this was going to stick in this country. And um, we did a big band, Bossa Nova, date. And I wrote a tune called, Lalo did one of his tunes in there too. He played piano on that. He was the first time he was in America. Clarence was managing him. <laughs> they found. And uh, that came from that album. That's in 1962. I wrote that in about 25 minutes, you know. And... Uh, then I did fast forward and we, I did a guest spot as a host and a musical guest on Saturday Night Live and uh, I ran to Mike Myers and all the guys there, Dana Carvey and those cats. And uh, he came, he did a couple of movies after that and after that he started, he did in his Austin Power series, he adopted this song as his theme song. You know, I mean, with a like a marching band and one thing, it just it never stopped, you know. And I, I couldn't figure out at first how he was, you know, came to do the, that as his theme. And it turns out that Robin Thicke's father, who was the biggest talk show host in history in in in, uh, in Canada, that was his theme. And that was his idol, you know, that was his role model. And so he was doing this to impress Robin Thicke, you know. And uh, it was really, really fascinating, man. Because that turned that song from a, a tent into an apartment house, you know. <laughs> it just never stopped after that.
well, often told me that Clifford Brown was your favorite and the best ever. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, he, well, Clifford was a friend. He was a friend, and uh, we were in Hampstead making Jimmy Cleveland, all of us, uh, making uh, uh, $17 a night when we got paid when we worked. And if I ever wrote a 3150 arrangement, I was, thought I was rich, man. You know, because you'd have to copy it yourself, you know. Got forty-two fifty if you copied it, and uh, uh, we went to camp to, to Atlantic City, and Larry Steele had his Harlem Review show down there with Tad Dameron. Uh, Tad Dameron uh, uh, had the band there, and he was conducting band. He was a bebop, one of the bebop founders too, as an arranger, and in his band was Gigi Grice. Benny Golson and Clifford Brown, and I I had heard a uh, uh, Coltrane before with a uh, with a uh, old rhythm and blues band, and uh, he was he was there too, and uh, we told Hamp three of us in the band said, man, even if you had to take a piece of our salaries, you gotta have these guys in the band because they are it. Well, Hamp can tell too; he knows too. But but to me, Hamp was and Louis Jordan were they were the founders of rock and roll. Because even though he had a jazz big band with the best musicians in the world, he every night he was not satisfied until he did the backbeat on his on his tom tom man and had people jumping off the ceiling. You know, this is fifty one, fifty two, but he was starting the forties. You know, and uh, with the Benny Goodman Quartet, and then got his own big band and never turned around. And they they were like the end of the big bands. You know, and that's what we were trying to carry on when we got in trouble in fifty eight. You know, but uh, the experience there. I can't even tell you, because when I was 15, uh, Hamp asked me to join the band, and I just jumped on the bus, man, six hours early, I wouldn't take a chance to him change his mind, or, or my parents told me I couldn't do it, so I got on the bus, and I'm sitting there waiting for him to go, all the guys started to get on, I felt a little better, and they're getting ready to take off the motors up and everything else, and Gladys gets on there, Gates, what, what, what's that child, who's that child back there, <laughs> what's that child on this bus, said, come here, honey. What should it put da 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 How old are you? Fifteen said, honey, go back to school. We, we'll get to talk to you later, you know. And she did. Uh, I've never been so hurt in my life, man, just have to get off that bus and go back home. And uh, uh, then three years later, she called, got in touch with me, had Jimmy Cleveland get in touch with me in Boston after a scholarship to what's now the Berkeley School of Music. It was the Schillinger House back then. Man, I was on the, on, the, on the road as soon as they called me. I was on the way to New York because I'd been dreaming about that. And that's like the school of, of, of forever. And you're getting in there with all of these guys that have been on the road 30 years, you know, like William Makel and Bobby Plater who wrote Jersey Bounce, all these great musicians. And uh, I used to watch the older guys, man, and how they, how they survived. And that, watch them when they fold their pants and put them underneath the mattress to clean them, to, to press them rather, then take this, the, the coat, put it in the bathroom, and do your wash and wear shirt, you wash that, and get the hot shower on it, kind of steam it, you know, and then you wash your handkerchief out, put that on the mirror, and the next morning it's dry, and you pull it off, it's like it's ironed almost. I mean, they've got set all the tricks together. Go to Father Divine's for 15 cents or say peace, you know, great veal stew and stuff, you know. I mean, they, you know, they knew, and that's why I, I was just a big, big fan of the two ears and one mouth thing, watching how the old guys do it, you know, because they had it down, man. And it was, it was hard out there, too. 700 hours, 700 miles a night in the bus. That's the union restrictions, you know. And played 23 dates and 37 dates in the Carolinas and 
cats jumping in warehouses and dancing oil with zoot suits and stuff and 23 dates in the Californias and the Chitlin Circuit, which is the Royal Theater in, in uh, Baltimore, the Apollo in New York, the Howard, uh, Washington, D.C., and Regal in Chicago. That Chitlin Circuit was it, man. And that was the best. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing school. It's like a college, you know. It's like a, a college education and what, what it's all about, you know. And you can't substitute that in any way of just living it. And I used to write down eight bars a night of orchestration and stuff and try them out with the guys and stuff, you know, just experimenting and everything. It's unforgettable.
that's a way that's a way to bring this to a close. I've got one more song for you. Uh, don't have. We don't have Quincy talking about it, but it's just, it's one that I need to play because it's so awesome. <laughs> we can't get out of here without playing it. So we're going to cap it off with Quincy Jones with Roland Kirk and Peter Gunn. And that'll do it for the show today. A little Quincy Jones for you. Hope you enjoyed it. You can always give me your feedback by going to my Facebook page, The Kelly Fuller Show. I want to thank Napa Valley College for supporting the station, NapaBroadcasting.com. And have a great week. Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com.